Tits up is both an expression used when things have gone terribly wrong and a phrase coined as a rallying cry to stand up straight, own the stage, and knock them dead. There are few things in this world that can make your life go tits up more quickly than a breast cancer diagnosis, especially for adolescent and young adult women. This podcast is meant to give us AYAs, a feeling of community, understanding, and power, helping us to walk into each day with a feeling of tits up. We are not medical professionals and we are not giving medical advice. Everyone's experience with cancer is very different. And just because we did something one way does not mean that it is necessarily the way that you should do it. If you have any questions about your health and well-being, please contact your doctor. Good morning, family. Welcome to a very special episode on Tits Up with Megan and Sam. Today, we have the addition of Miss Emily. Uh, Emily, please say hello. Hey, everybody. (laughs) We have an amazing episode this week. We are discussing the decision to have no reconstruction after a mastectomy. Um, we are so lucky to be joined by Emily today. So funny. I actually used to babysit for Emily's nephews. So (laughs) this is the, I know such a small world and we are finally meeting in person. So I am very, very excited about this. Emily, why don't you take a second and just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so my name is Emily, obviously. Um, I was born and raised in Georgia. Um, I still live here today. My husband and I, we've been married for over 14 years, and he is my everything. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for him. Um, We actually built our forever home while I was going through treatment. We don't have any human children, but we do have four kids. (laughs) We have four (laughs) goats, and they're a huge part of our family. (laughs) That makes me so happy. I love that. Emily, can you tell us how uh, are they part time inside? Do you let them inside? I wish that they could come inside, but they're all the time outside. So we spend every morning and every evening with them. Um, But yeah, they stay outside. So goats can't control their poop. And we would have a house full of that if they came in even for 10 minutes. Oh, God. What are their names? So we have Ernie and Elias, who are twins, and then we have Rocky and Bruce Wayne. And I think if you think about it, it. you're going to be able to tell who named who. Who named (laughs) Ernie and Elias and who named Bruce Wayne and Rocky. (laughs) I love that so much. That makes me so happy. (laughs) You're a lot of fun. Well, Emily, tell us um, when were you diagnosed and what age were you? So I was 36 when I was diagnosed and I was diagnosed in 2019. So I just in March had a big milestone birthday and I'm 40 now and I love being 40. I love that I made it and I'm here. (laughs) Four years. That's right. Four years. Go Emily. (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. Um, I found the lump myself when I was um, stretching out my shoulders. It's really interesting because I found the lump and I was like, oh, you know, I'm I'm 36 now. I'm a little bit older. I'm sure it's just like hormones, whatever. Didn't think anything of it, which is so unlike me. And then fast forward a couple of months later, I found it again. And then it consumed me. I was like, okay, this is this is something I need to have this, you know, figured out. So it was it was a lot. It's weird that I like ignored it the first time. That's very unlike me, but how did it go? How did it go with the doctor the first time? Like, did they do, did they find it? Well, I mean, it was a palpable lump. I mean, you could feel Mm -hmm. it, Mm -hmm. but how did the whole biopsy and diagnosis situation Go. (laughs) go for you? So I actually called a friend to see, um, like to get an updated women's health doctor, like for where we were living now. Um, and so I called her and I went there and, you know, that was after that second time I found it. So I had that gut feeling and she felt it and she thought the nurse practitioner that I saw, she was like, I think this is a cyst based on your age and your lack of family history but we'll still send you in for a diagnostic mammogram and ultrasound. So I was really grateful that even though she 
thought a certain thing just because, you know, I'm healthy, I'm young, um, no reason to suspect cancer that she went ahead and sent off for me to have that diagnostic mammogram and ultrasound. Yeah. Thank God. Mm-hmm. I had, I had a doctor that was, I, I tested negative for the BRCA gene, but I have mm-hmm. a huge family history. And she uh-huh. told me, you know, I still want you every year to go and get a mammogram just in case. Mm -hmm. And mine was on my chest wall. I never, ever would have found it if I wasn't getting the mammograms and the ultrasounds each time. Oh, wow. So thank God for good doctors, right? (laughs) Especially at a young age. Yeah, exactly. Um, When I had, it was funny because when I went to, I was trying so hard to make my my mammogram and ultrasound when Susan was here um, because I didn't want to let everybody know because I was like, I need to figure this out um, kind of for myself. And I don't want to tell anyone until I know for sure what this is. Susan was the only one that knew that I even had a lump and that I was going to the doctor. So we were trying to time it to when she was here in Georgia, cause she lives out in Texas and, um, we couldn't make it work. So I had to go by myself. Um, I, I hid it from my husband because I didn't want to worry him if there was nothing wrong. So I didn't tell him he actually found a receipt the night before that mammogram. He found a receipt for the women's health doctor that I had seen. He was worried, you know, like something else was going on. But um, but I told him, you know, it's it's a lump I found. They're very common. Um, They'll probably just do a biopsy. But when I went to have the mammogram and ultrasound done, they told me right then that it was cancer, like definitively 100 percent. This is cancer. We just have to do then the biopsy to figure out what kind. How could they tell right away without even doing the biopsy? Textbook, the way it looked. Okay. Yeah. And I had asked. Did you see that. it, Emily? Mm-hmm. Was it was it spiky and spider-like, like a it thunderstorm? <laughs> Me too. Me too. That's what I, uh, I used to say. It looked like a spider, like a, mm-hmm. like a spider with a huge body and all these legs. And then I was listening to an oncology or breast surgeon and she was like, the best way to explain it is like a, a scattered thunderstorm, you know, on the screen. And I was like, yes, I'm going to start using that. So that's exactly my same experience. I took a picture of it. I was like, oh. Right, exactly. I was like, if that's not cancer, what is that? Right. <laughs> Very different. So I'm assuming just by the the, radio, uh, the radiologist having all of those years of experience, as soon as he saw it, he knew for sure. Um, and I was grateful for that because I didn't want to keep on waiting. You know, y'all know how that is. Yeah. Waiting is the worst part. So I mean, what is the word that everybody uses? Scanxiety? Yes. Like it's it's a real thing. Like when I'm waiting for my results, I'm not okay for a few yes. days. <laughs> yes. yes. Yikes. Well, what options did they, did they give you and what was your actual diagnosis? So the nurse navigator who I still keep in touch with today and who is just a, a fantastic person. Um, she led me, Denise led me to, um, the surgeon. She was like, you know, the first step is going to go to the surgeon. And so I went to the one that they recommended and he said, well, we can't do any kind of surgery until you have chemo. I was like, chemo, (laughs) I was told, you know, I'm here at the surgeons. Like, I don't, I don't think that that's going to be necessary (laughs) for me. Um, And so there ended up being, and it ended up being a huge blessing. There was something up with the insurance and I had to go see another surgeon. So I went to this other surgeon and y'all, he told me the same thing. He was like, I don't think we need to do surgery until you see an oncologist and we figure out the chemo situation. And once again, I was like, okay, I got to settle with this, that this is going to be a part of my life. Um, Went to my oncologist and he was like, Emily, I think we can avoid chemo if we do a test. Let's see if we can, if you fit into this mold. I was like, well, anything to avoid that, that sounds great. So we did an oncotype test. And my oncotype, it's only for um, estrogen positive or hormone positive, HER2 mm-hmm. negative. And my oncotype score was really low. And so we celebrated that as a huge victory and didn't need chemo. So that's when then I went in for surgery. Um, and we, um, I decided to have a double mastectomy. The final path report from that showed some things that my oncologist then wasn't comfortable with me not having chemo. So we knew going into it that it was in my lymph nodes. Um, There were more lymph nodes than what he was sort of suspecting. 
And then um, I was like, but we believe in the science. That was why we didn't do it before. So if we believe in the science, we need to believe in the science. My actual surgeon suggested doing a mamma print, which is just like, kind of like the oncotype. It's a genomic test to look at the tumor itself. So the oncotype was on the biopsy. The mamma print was on the tumor and the mamma print showed that I had a high risk of recurrence and it put me in a subgroup of cancer that was more aggressive. So I don't know about you guys. I thought breast cancer was breast cancer and it was like a, that, that was Mm -hmm. it. I had no idea that there were so many different types and then so many different subgroups that come with that. So based on those results, um, we did, uh, four rounds of AC and then 12 rounds of Taxol. And then I also had radiation because it was lymph node positive. So we knew radiation was on the table no matter what. So it was a lot of ups and downs, just like everyone has in there. <laughs> yeah. I've never heard of the mamma print. I just wrote that down because <laughs> I've never heard of that before. Yeah. But it's- yeah, echo what you say about the different kinds. Megan and I, I think, bring it up in almost every episode. We're like hormone positive, but wait, you could be estrogen and progesterone negative, you know, and HER2 negative. Then you could be triple negative. Then you could be triple positive, right? IDC. Then you could have lobular, right? Um, and then there's different grades, right? And then how aggressive each one uh, each one is and how fast growing, all of those types of things, right? Because, you know, I had a lump for almost a year, you know, so, um, but parts of it were slow growing and parts of it were fast growing because there were multiple types, even inside my one tumor, which was mind boggling to me when I got my pathology report, I was like, why do I have two types of cancer? And they're like, oh, that's, that's normal when you have breast cancer. I was like, what? I thought breast cancer was breast cancer. (laughs) So I completely echo that, Emily. And that's why I think that this is really helpful. I mean, at least for me, because, you know, when you're diagnosed with one type of breast cancer, that's the only type that you focus on. Mm-hmm. You know, I was ERPR positive, HER2 negative. Mm-hmm. And so ERPR is all I focused on. I mean, honestly, when we just started this, I sincerely didn't know what HER2 was. <laughs> I think in our first episode, I asked Sam because that's right. It was you your know, you, right. You put your blinders on. You only deal with what you have to deal with. <laughs> So this is, I, I love it when there are, I don't love any of this. It's bullshit that we're even here in the first place. But I do like it when we have, you know, different uh, diagnoses on here so that people can kind of, you know, figure out where they fit in yeah. to all yes. of that. I so, so you, okay, so you're diagnosed. You now know that you're going to do a double mastectomy. Was the double mastectomy decision really difficult for you? So it wasn't actually, I had, um, I had three abnormalities on the right side. My cancer was on the right side. And then they said, let's do the whole breast MRI. So I'd have it on both sides. And I was like, I think what we should do is if the abnormal, if we see more in the left breast to go ahead and do a double, if it's just contained in one, you know, we'll talk about a lumpectomy, but we'll make that, you know, be our decision. And when it came back, I had abnormalities on the other side also. So that was a very easy decision for us to make. Um, Then it was double mastectomy, 100%. Um, My oncologist was really on board with that because he was like, if your body at 36 is already producing these that are abnormal, not necessarily cancer, because I only had cancer on the one side, not necessarily cancer, you're going to be in for screenings and scans all the time. And so I just was under, like, I don't want to do that. (laughs) Let's just get rid of them and let's start over again. Yeah. Yeah. I had the very same thought, you know, if this is happening at 35 for me, Mm -hmm. what is the likelihood that this is going to come back? I was dead set on having a lumpectomy. Mm -hmm. I was going to be damned if they took my boobs. (laughs) And here we are. Cause I'm like, it just leaves the door open, especially for younger women. You have decades and decades and decades of these screenings that are going to happen. And you're always just going to have this cloud hanging over you of, you know, when is it going to come back? Not if it's going to come back. Right. So yeah, I completely understand that. That was maybe the hardest decision of my whole Mm -hmm. journey, heavy quotes. Um, (laughs) Yup. The eye roll. Um, But yeah, that's, uh, it sucks. Um, So, okay. So when, 
the the primary thing that we really want to get to here and speak to other women about to go through this is the option of no reconstruction and going flat closure. So how did you get to that decision from diagnosis and then deciding to do a double mastectomy? How did you get to that point of, I don't want to do reconstruction or I can't do reconstruction because I know some people can't. Mm -hmm. How did that work out for you? So when we knew for sure it was going to be a double mastectomy, I had actually thrown around, I think you did too, Megan, um, the idea of a deep flap because it's presented um, in, a, in a positive light, which for a lot of women it is. It's a tummy tuck and then you get new boobs. You know, you get rid of that and you put them up here. However, um, I was doing some reading, just kind of educating myself on the length of the surgery, the length of the recovery. Um, and I started questioning if that was really something that I wanted to do. It is hard. It's a very long surgery. There's ICU stage, uh, stays afterward. Um, and I was just trying to weigh my options. Implants, I wasn't um, set on for me personally, just um, the way my body has always been. I didn't think it was something that I needed to, to do for me. And through all of my reading, um, I came across a website called Not Putting on a Shirt and then flat closure now. And the women there, they looked whole to me. They looked beautiful. And I knew immediately that that's what I wanted. It was just a fast decision. Like this is, this is it. This is what I want. God, I love that. I, love that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that just, just that feeling or even the concept of feeling whole yeah. after this, I feel I feel like that evades so many of us, you know, I mean, I have the full reconstruction and I finally, finally, I'm to a point where I don't hate looking mm -hmm. at them and it doesn't upset me to look mm -hmm. at them. You know, um, I'm not going to say that I'm thrilled. Sure. Um, I mean, they look great. My plastic surgeon did a fantastic job. It's just an emotional thing for yeah. me. Yeah. But even after going through all of the reconstruction, I wouldn't say that I feel whole. So mm -hmm. to hear you say that, makes me so happy. <laughs> yeah. So what were, what were some of the most significant emotional and psychological considerations you had when deciding to go flat instead of reconstruction? So to be honest, like we live in a society that puts so much emphasis on breasts as being like the center of a woman. We yes. really do. Um, plus it was the body that I had had for, we'll say, I don't know, 25 years, you know, puberty and all of that. It's that mm -hmm. body and all of that was about to be gone. And so it was hard. Um, that was a hard, hard time. But at the end of the day, um, I knew that I had cancer and this would be my best shot at living a normal quote unquote life as possible. And I really wanted a one and done surgery. I didn't want to have to think about it again. And I also didn't want my life, like I had said earlier, to revolve around scans and scares. Um, so because of all of that, I felt it kind of outweighed the heaviness of the decision. You know, I was dealt this hand of cards, so I need to play it like it is. I love it. Cost benefit analysis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I completely no. get that. <laughs> yeah. Emily, did you meet with any plastic surgeons or did you not even consult with them like you had already? Because for me, it was like my oncologist didn't even refer me to a plastic surgeon until I, you know, was either undecided on reconstruction. You know, they were like, hey, even if you think you don't want it, go talk to them just to see what they have to say. Was that your experience or was your mind made up and you didn't go see it? My mind was made up, but my surgeon did want me to go and meet with the plastic surgeon. So I did. And my husband and I went, um, and I got to tell y'all, cause I asked for some pictures and I looked at the pictures and because we were thinking about maybe doing expanders, um, just okay. so I kind of make that decision. And A placeholder, husband, right? Right. So, Give so you more time. Easy. <laughs> Very easy. Right. Right. Yeah. But my husband said, I looked at the picture and he was like, your face fell. And he was like, I knew immediately we needed to shut that down and we need to stick with our flat closure plan. 
So yes, you hear about all those things. Oh, the, it'll be an easy surgery. You'll just have those in there. And that's not necessarily the case. So I'm really glad no. that we stuck to our gut and, and just did the one and done. Yeah. Expanders suck. Yeah. They're, I've heard that. They're not, best. they're not fun. Yeah. Yeah. I love that too, that you had such good support from your husband. Right. You know, we've talked in a couple of previous episodes um, and, you know, some upcoming episodes, we're going to be focusing on you know, caregivers and the spouses or the significant others and family members and all of that. Um, and the type of impact that a cancer diagnosis for their family member means for them and also what it takes for them to be yeah. caregivers. And not everybody is lucky enough to have a spouse that just stands by you no matter what. Yeah. And that, that makes me so happy to hear that he's you know, I mean, it's your body, your choice, but it's it's so much easier when you have somebody that's high-fiving you and cheerleading you the entire way through. Absolutely. I owe a lot to him and I recognize how lucky I am to have, to have someone like that who is just, you know, and he really took it as he should. Um, most caregivers, and they're going to feel the same way. It was like when I was diagnosed, he was too, you know, because we yes. had to live this life together and then it had to go off on a completely different path than what we were expecting. That's, I think that's very poignant right there. When you're diagnosed, so are they. Yeah. There's, it, it changes everything. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. They didn't sign up for that either. Right. <laughs> um. <laughs> it's, it's a family yeah. diagnosis. It's a it full is, family right. diagnosis. And that's yeah. why I'm having the conversations with younger women, because we are just in a different time of our lives, twenties and thirties when you're diagnosed versus, and it doesn't make it any better or any worse than someone, I mean, cancer sucks no matter what the age, but someone mm -hmm. who's 60 or 70, they've, you know, they've lived out that part of their life where they're talking about having kids or building a house or getting married. They've done that when they're that age and we're yep. kind of in the midst of it. So. Yeah. It makes it a lot more difficult. Yeah. Um, how did the rest of your family respond? To your diagnosis, to your decisions, to everything else? Um, well, Susan flew in, my sister flew in, so we could talk to um, my parents together. Chris, my husband, told his parents pretty quickly he needed to have a support right away, someone to talk to. Um, I kept it so I would have a little bit more information. And so Susan could fly in and we could all be together as a family when I told my parents. Um, I have kind of a unique, I lost my oldest sister in 2003. And so I wanted to make sure my parents had a lot of support too, because I really felt about that. You know, I'm the baby. Um, so there's all that little element in there being the baby. <laughs> the oh, family. Yeah. And then hearing that and then having the loss from health issues before, I knew it would be a lot to process. So, um, I mean, it was, it was devastating, but um, I told them from the beginning that I would handle everything with grace and with strength. And that was a goal of mine throughout everything that I would handle it. I think I did a pretty good job. <laughs> it sounds like it. I mean, I've, I've talked to Susan. Yeah. <laughs> she just, she speaks so highly of you and how you handled everything. I always joke that, I mean, my husband, bless his heart. He says I handled it with grace, but I always joke about how much of a train wreck I was. And I was, I was not even capable of hiding it. I was just a right. mess. <laughs> yeah, it's a, lot, a lot to deal with. So in going back to the flat closure, mm -hmm. how ha, have you encountered any societal or cultural challenges or misconceptions about that choice? Um, I mean, we mentioned, or you mentioned a few minutes ago that, you know, there's so much emphasis societally put on women and their breasts, you okay. know, and are they big? Are they tiny? Does it go kind of, you know, sometimes I've found that like, almost like my personality goes with how my breasts are looking, you know? <laughs> Um, so what did you run into, if anything, since your surgery? I gotta be honest, y'all. I haven't run into any, any kind of negativity. I've never encountered any kind of negative ne negativity. Um, I don't hide my flatness at all. I mean, I don't like flaunt it, you know, I'm not necessarily going to wear something that completely shows it off, but I never hide it. And it's just, it's just me, you know, it's just a part of me. So I've been very lucky in that aspect. Good. Yeah. Good, good, good. I think, you know, it, it is becoming, 
as a society, I think we are, I don't know if we're getting better or worse. So I'm not going to comment to that, but I do think that we are becoming far more open yeah. about things. And I think, um, you know, with the dawn of the internet, because <laughs> yeah, I think you and I still remember before internet was a thing. Um, but since the internet, I think that people have become more open with their lives and things that maybe we didn't talk about in the past because it was somewhat taboo. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I remember when my mom was diagnosed in, God, it was like 98, mm -hmm. I think, 99, something like that. Um, it was even strange to say breast cancer because it was there was breast in there, you know, and that doesn't seem to phase people nowadays. And right. I, I think there's just so much more exposure. Yeah. Um, for the things that everybody's going through, but specifically talking about breast cancer and the different options. Mm -hmm. I also say, like I do. And the fact with the whole element of the internet, it's been able for someone like me to find a community out there in the flat community and been able to form friendships that, I mean, you never, this would have never been possible five years ago if you had told me where my life was now and what I'm doing. And I'm a part of an advocacy group, so called Stand Tall AFC. So I do want to clarify just a couple of things that an aesthetic flat closure, so AFC, it is a type of reconstruction. Um, okay. That way, that Health Care Act that was passed in 1998 that covers all women from having any kind of reconstruction flat closures in there too. So unfortunately, there are times when women want to go flat and they are given what's called a flat denial where, and it makes me so mad to talk about, but surgeons will leave extra skin in case they change their minds. And it's so wrong. It's so wrong. So some of these women have to go in for a revision and it all has to do with the coating because it's not a cosmetic procedure. It's still a part of reconstruction um, because the chest wall, everything would have to be contoured to make it aesthetically pleasing. So it is a type of reconstruction. I'm so glad that you clarified that. Yeah. Um, and I've seen, I've seen the pictures of the aesthetic mm -hmm. flat closure that you're talking about and where they leave mm -hmm. some skin and to me, I, I completely agree that that is horribly wrong. I mean, doctors, again, I'm going back to this is your body, how right. you go about this is your choice. I remember, you know, when I decided that I was just going to have a hysterectomy rather than doing 10 years of tamoxifen mm -hmm. and then going through menopause for real. So basically two bouts of menopause, um, my doctor was wonderful. She was like, look, we're going to do whatever you want to do. That being said, I want you to do a little bit of research. She sent me around and had me go talk to my OBGYN. And when I talked to my OBGYN, she was completely on board. She was like, Megan, whatever you want to do. But I know that there are so many doctors out there that try to more or less kind of make that decision for you or right. leave the door open for things. I mean, I can't imagine if I would have had a doctor that was like, no, we're not going to do a hysterectomy because you may change your mind and you may want babies. Right. Well, I probably did want them, but what I want more than mythological babies at this point is to not get cancer again and to not go through menopause twice yeah. and to just not do this again. And yeah, I, I just, Doctors are wonderful and I know that they're always doing their best, but there are sometimes you just need to trust the patient. Yeah. And I think it's so good that you had somebody that listened to you and went with it. Yeah. And I have to say, I have to give a shout out to my, um, my surgeon, Dr. Cody Gunn in Athens, Georgia it is amazing. And he is so supportive of women who, um, want to have that aesthetic flat closure. Um, and so without like the stand tall, without the not putting on the shirt, um, website, not putting on a shirt.org, I wouldn't know all of this stuff. I wouldn't have known to present it to him as I don't want any kind of extra skin. Cause in, in my mind, a flat closure would mean no extra skin, but you have to clarify um, to make sure that you and your doctor are on the same page about what you actually want and want it to look like. Oh, yeah, I could imagine that, Emily. And mm -hmm. imagine having one thing in your mind and not being, you know, relayed correctly. And then you wake up and you're, you know, devastated. That was my biggest fear, you know, just not waking up without having a certain thing, just waking up and being disappointed um, yeah. from my surgery. Something also that 
Megan and I both haven't experienced. And if you're comfortable, I would like to touch on is your experience with radiation and just kind of your maybe physical healing process, you know, after you had your flat closure, um, reconstruction and everything like that. So did yeah. you start immediately I or did. did they wait? Well, oh, my goodness. <laughs> no, I didn't start immediately. I, so I went through it a little bit backwards because I had this. Okay. Okay. So I had oh, my okay, surgery okay. in September, um, got those final path reports, did the mammoprint, all of that for October. And then I started chemo in November. So I did not okay. do the radiation right after the surgery. Um, usually, or some women, I shouldn't say usually, some women do chemo and then surgery and then radiation. So mine was flipped, trying to avoid chemo. And then I ended up needing the right. biggest <laughs> kind of chemo. But no, no. The radiation, I mean, I is tiring. I so I was going through radiation right at the height of COVID. So I started in April of 2020. So my last chemo was like March 20th. A, chemo or radiation began like April 6th. So everything was shut down. Um, I felt like very grateful that I could get out of the house because most people were stuck in the house. And, you know, I'd been stuck in the house for months with chemo and surgery. So I was like, I get to drive every single day. It was great. But um, unfortunately, now I am having a few like ad. I hate to even say adverse reactions because we're four years later, but I'm still experiencing some injury, I guess, from radiation, some scar tissue that's built up and can be kind of painful. So I hate that. Um, but the actual like radiation process was pretty good. So I, my last chemo treatment was March 20th. And then I began radiation. I think it was April 6th. And if you guys think about that, that was the height of COVID and everybody was like shut down in their house and couldn't go anywhere. Schools were closed. Everything was closed. And so it was really cool for me to be able to get out every single day, even if it was to the radiation oncology office, but I got to see silver people. linings. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of silver line. I got to see people and talk to them. Um, but unfortunately, I mean, just like chemo radiation is a, a huge cancer treatment and it's hard on our bodies. Um, so unfortunately now I've had some scar tissue to develop and to get thicker, like in my lungs. Um, so there's that, that comes with it. So like we try to treat the cancer and then end up with side effects from the treatments and that's hard to process. For people that are going through radiation, did you find any like tips and tricks? Like I, I remember seeing something online about like this salve that this woman was putting mm -hmm. on and that tended to help with like the almost sunburned feeling. Yeah. What, mm -hmm. what did you run into and what, what advice could you give to uh, women about to go through or who are going through radiation? So I started my, um, my, my plan of action for my skin about a week prior to beginning radiation. So every night after the shower, I would douse my chest, my chest in coconut oil. And I just got, you know, like a big pack of men's white t-shirts just so I wouldn't mess up regular clothes um, and started like heavily moisturizing the week before. During radiation, I used, and my, I have to say my radiation oncology office, like you couldn't even hardly tell that I had radiation, even to this day. So I use a cream called Miaderm, M-I-A-D-E-R-M, Miaderm that was developed for radiation. And I set a timer and I was obsessed with it. I put it on every two hours. And then when I did start getting a little bit pink, I had calendula that I would add to that, like in addition to kind of help. And then I did the coconut oil that lasted. And for a couple of weeks after, so I was very like, this is my regimen. <laughs> I will do it every single day. <laughs> I love that. Was Radiation there routine. Check. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Can you, did you have, or can you share any moments or experiences that stand out as particularly inspiring or empowering during your post mastectomy life? Um, and then, you know, what, what lessons have you kind of taken from that? So I'm going to go back to um, the Santal group, and I want to elaborate a little bit more on that. With, oh, please with, do. With this. this is a perfect question. Hopefully so, we can link them below. Um, yes. I just want to note that to make sure we do. Yes, I hope so. Yes. 
So I'm a part of an advocacy group called Stand Tall AFC. And Stand Tall is an organization that advocates for women with less than two breasts to participate in breast cancer awareness walks. So what we do at these breast cancer awareness walks is we are visible. We're either visible by literally being shirtless so everyone can see what it looks like, or if some women are not comfortable with that, carrying signs that um, just promote body positivity um, just, so I have to tell you guys too about another thing with, um, I met this lady called, her name is Renee Ridgely and her husband is a producer on the Simpsons. And she was very, very adamant that there be a character that she could kind of create. Um, and so she did. And that character is Dr. Wendy Sage and Dr. Sage lives her life as a one-breasted woman. So they had to do a one-breasted, so like on the cartoon, so you could actually see it because you wouldn't be able to tell like if she was flat or, you know, so they have it as one, one breast. And what I love about her is that they don't ever talk about her story. She's just living her life as a happy one-breasted woman. And so Renee has been very influential with the Stand Tall campaign. Um, but we just want flat. The whole idea behind the campaign is to put flat on the menu. So it's offered as a reconstruction op option after mastectomy. Typically it's only implants or flat procedures. Very rarely does a doctor also offer aesthetic flat closure at the same time. Um, so we're, our hope is that we can put flat on the menu and that's from not putting on a shirt.org. Um, and where I got like all of my information to become flat. Oh God. I love that. Yeah. What other resources do you use or like what, what other websites have you found to be really, really helpful? So definitely the not putting on a shirt, um, mm -hmm. flat closure now is another one. Um, and then the sand tall, those are the ones that I've kind of, um, linked with and developed friendships with these ladies. In fact, next week I'm going out to San Francisco for a big flat retreat that we're having. Um, so I'm flying across. That's the exciting. Wow. <laughs> so how I'm many women are going to be there, Emily? A lot, like 75, 80. Oh, wow. I'm all over. And we're going to have this big three day retreat, um, get to tour San Francisco. We're walking across the bridge. Um, we all have like our flat shirts or we might not wear shirts at all and just promoting it as an option that you can be beautiful. You can be whole after a mastectomy. That is fantastic. Yeah. I love that. We will definitely make sure to link all of those in the yeah. description. Thank you. I'm excited to see, um, are you guys going to post stuff on social media after your trip? Yeah. It's, I'm so excited to see that then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I'll Ooh. have to share it with you guys. Yes, please do. And so we can share it with everybody else yes. too. So Emily, we ask, we're trying to ask, and we will ask, um, anybody that we have on the show, what has your decision to, and then fill in the blank. And in this case, you know, go flat, have an aesthetic flat closure. What, um, how has that affected your overall quality of life, physical activity, relationships, mental well-being? Um, it, it sounds to me like it's been nothing but positive for you. Would you agree with that? I actually would agree with that. So I do not think that having um, a flat closure has negatively impacted my quality of life at all. Um, I can, I mean, even from wearing whatever I want to wear, not ever having to worry about a bra anymore, like that all is seen as positive. Um, I feel like I'm still learning to live this life the best way that I can. I feel like the actual cancer diagnosis had much more um, of an impact on those elements of life than me having an aesthetic flat closure. The cancer part is what affected, not my surgery my experience. How did the cancer part affect your, <laughs> I mean, we all know the answer to this, but how did it affect your mental health, your mental well-being? I think that it hits, it hits everybody hard, obviously, but you know, some people, people just deal with it differently. How would you say you dealt with it? Um, and what sort of <sighs> mental crutches <laughs> did you find? um, to kind of help you out through all of that. I mean, Sam and I have talked about the way that we have dealt with it ad nauseum and we will continue to, I'm sure. Yeah. But how did you 
deal with it? And what was the biggest blow? Oh, that's a deep question. Um, it was all kind of the biggest blow. So it just came out of nowhere. Um, I had a really hard time dealing with it mentally, I feel. Um, there, I, I like to, or my biggest coping mechanism, and it's a terrible coping mechanism, but it's what works is I self-isolate and I deal with things in my own way and I process things. Um, I don't do well talking a lot about it. If something's bothering me, I like to just internalize that. So I think that part of it was really hard for me to, to sort of, and I continue to do it every day to get over like there, I'm still in that process. I don't think we'll ever be able to be over that. Um, but it was really hard. We had, so our anniversary, our 10th anniversary was on June 20th of 2019. And we broke ground on our new house on that day. So on our anniversary, and then I was diagnosed a month later. And that's where it's so hard for younger people, younger women to go through a diagnosis like this. We had um, picked out a plan that might be good, like for potentially a family in the future, like a house plan, the different bedrooms. And so that part was really hard to process and know that some things were going to be taken, um, that I didn't really have a choice in the matter. Um, and so I think I'm still dealing with those kind of things. That's why I feel like the young women, the young people who are diagnosed with cancer, it's just a different stage of life and it affects so much more. Um, so some things were taken that I'm still kind of processing and dealing with um, today. Did you have a hysterectomy? Are you on um, tamoxifen or anything or what, what happened that affected the family portion yeah. of this. So I was started on Lupron right when um, I started chemo. So um, because it was estrogen positive. Yeah. So I was on Lupron and then I was on Examestane with the Lupron. Um, I'm not sure which one you were on, Samantha, if you were on a, a like a aromatase inhibitor. Just Lupron. Just Lupron. So I was on Lupron and Examestane and I did that for two and a half years. Um, and those two and a half years were really hard. I it created a lot of pain, everything that comes with being in a chemical menopause. Um, and one day I asked my oncologist, I was like, I'm tired of coming here to the cancer center. Everybody's older. Nobody looks like me. And I don't, I want to be done with this part of my life. I'm, I'm over it. So he actually felt confident in switching me to just tamoxifen. So just tamoxifen, I've been on that for a year and I've had a couple of other like side effects to kind of come from that, but I feel like my body is becoming more um, like natural, like getting rid of everything, like with the Lupron and XMSA and that kind of mess. So my life changed when I started taking that tamoxifen and I feel a lot more like Emily pre-cancer. Did you have a hysterectomy? Are you on... Um tamoxifen or anything or what what happened that affected the family portion yeah. of this so i was started on lupron right when um i started chemo so um because it was estrogen positive yeah so i was on lupron and then i was on examestane with the lupron um, i'm not sure which one you were on samantha if you were on a, a like a aromatase inhibitor just Lupron. Just Lupron. So I was on Lupron and Examestane, and I did that for two and a half years. Um, and those two and a half years were really hard. I it created a lot of pain, everything that comes with being in a chemical menopause. Um, and one day I asked my oncologist, I was like, I'm tired of coming here to the cancer center. Everybody's older. Nobody looks like me. And I don't, I want to be done with this part of my life. I'm, I'm over it. So he actually felt confident in switching me to just tamoxifen. So just tamoxifen, I've been on that for a year and I've had a couple of other like side effects to kind of come from that, but I feel like my body is becoming more um, like natural, like getting rid of everything, like with 
the Lupron and eczema saying that kind of mess. So my life changed when I started taking that tamoxifen and I feel a lot more like Emily pre-cancer. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. Good, good, good. So it's positive experience. What? That's so, that's so good to hear. Um, cause normally just tamoxifen in and of itself, like I watched my mom on tamoxifen for like 10 years mm -hmm. and she was miserable. Yeah. She absolutely hated it. Everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people that I've heard from and talked to have hated it. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of another reason, not the reason, but another reason that I just steered clear of all of that and just said, let's, let's just do the hysterectomy. Sure. Um, but thank God that like going from what you were on to just tamoxifen made such a big difference. And I feel very blessed with that. All right. So Emily, looking back on your experiences, is there anything that you wish you would have known or advice that you would give your past self um, as you were making the decision to do an a AFC, right? Aesthetic flat closure. Is that, that's the right terminology? Okay. Um so yeah, what, what advice would you have given to yourself? What do you know now that maybe you didn't know then? What can you help our listeners out with um, if they're finding themselves in that situation where you were just diagnosed, you have surgery coming up, what do I do? So one of the best pieces of advice that I was given is it feels like an emergency, but it's not an emergency. You need to lay out everything the way that you want it. Make sure that you have everything that you want to know, um, all of that kind of stuff. So I, I'm an information seeker. So I knew things like that I was going to do and I wanted to read about them and I wanted to find out everything about them. My advice to other women is to be informed about all of your options because you have a huge role in your decision-making for your treatment plans. You can say no. You can say, I don't think that works. You can go get second opinions. And so my advice is just to be informed about your decisions and your choices. I think that's so important. And we've definitely touched on that in other episodes as well. You know, self-advocacy, um, or taking the time to get a second opinion. Um, Cause you're right. It feels like an absolute emergency, you know? I mean, as soon as you diagnose, it's like, I got to get this out of me now. And how are we going to do this now? Um, so I love that. Yeah. Sam, what are your thoughts? No, me too. We, like you said, Megan, touch on that in every single episode, because I think it's really important to say and I know that when I first started going to the doctor for my whole cancer experience, I was scared to say things and I was scared to probe questions, you know, to these doctors who obviously knew way more than me, you know, which is not always the case or which may be the case, right? They may know more than you, but that doesn't mean they know what's best for you. And I think it takes a lot of self-reflection to be like, okay, I'm in this situation. I can't change it. But what is best for me going forward? What's going to be the best outcome for me? And I think the only person who can answer that is you. Um, we discussed in a couple episodes, like women get pressured into a certain decision. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to say that I was, but I was told I was very young, right? So like, they're like, yeah, you can always change your mind <laughs> what you want to do. And I'm like, yeah, that's very true. So I didn't put a lot of, you know, thought into it maybe as much as I should have to what am I going to feel or how am I going to feel after but the only person who can decide that for anybody is the individual you know patient and or person so yeah. if we don't know what we want that's when it becomes a little bit dangerous and I think we let people kind of guide us into a way so I absolutely number one respect and like I'm cheering from the rooftops for you Emily because you went in there you know exactly what you wanted you know and you researched it and you were very confident about that um I had like a bunch of doctors telling me a bunch of different things you know especially on the surgery portion that's where I felt like not a lot of care was taken into my experience I felt like a lot of emphasis was put on chemo and this and that but like the surgery was kind of like hodgepodge you know which I don't understand because that's a physical altering thing to you and yes I guess you could always go back under the knife but who wants to do that yeah exactly yeah I'm Doctors, doctors mean well, and they are brilliant. And I'm sure all of us have good ones. That being said, we're the ones that need to live in this body. 
they won't be living in it. Um, so I love all of that. Thank you so much, Emily. Yeah. Is there Thank anything else that you would like to throw out before we kind of wrap up the episode? I don't think so. I think this is this has been great. Thank you guys for having and thank you for what you're doing for this podcast. I, I think it's it's fantastic. You're reaching so many young women and it's so great to have that, like to to see me in y'all, you know, like and that's what your listeners are going to to feel. They're gonna see themselves in you. Thank you so much. And I'm so happy to finally meet you in person. This is yes. wonderful. Same. Again. <laughs> I'm so glad to be able to see you too. Well, well, you and I are just gonna be texting from here on out. No. You're you're my new favorite. <laughs> Thank you, ladies. Thank you again, Emily. This has been fantastic. Um, For all of our listeners, we are going to put all of the links to everything that Emily covered today in the description. Um, So please feel free to take a look at that and visit. Um, And I I would imagine reach out to people um, in those groups that we link to. If you're having questions about having an aesthetic plaque closure um, versus, you know, implant reconstruction or you know flap with a p flap reconstruction um reach out and see what other people's thoughts and feelings are on the whole thing and i love it that this isn't an emergency do what feels the best for you absolutely um once again emily thank you so much for being on the podcast today and sharing all of your intimate experience and details with us we super appreciate it and i know everybody else will megan thank you for being amazing as always um and we you know hope you all keep listening um and remember tits up ladies we are not medical professionals and we are not giving medical advice everyone's experience with cancer is very different And just because we did something one way does not mean that it is necessarily the way that you should do it. If you have any questions about your health and well-being, please contact your doctor.